Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It is great to be with you. I hope you're doing wonderful. Quite the show ahead of us, starting off with this. Republican Senator John Kennedy said the quiet part out loud, in a sense, during a recent interview with Hugh Hewitt as he's responding to the fourth indictment of Donald Trump, of course, on charges related to Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia, and makes so clear, more clear than we've even seen most other Republicans uh, make his stance that no, it's not about the political persecution talking points and the there's no evidence against Trump talking points. It's instead just John Kennedy and other Republicans believe that Trump, for some reason, is above the law. And he won't say that explicitly, obviously. But even as far as he goes is further than you see a lot of Republicans go because of how bad it sounds. They try to instead get all these different talking points um, in front of their honest one behind it all, which is Trump's above the law. And here, a point that he makes betrays that belief so clearly. Take a look. President Trump has been indicted four times in the last five months. It, it's, it's surreal. Politically, it's, it's sort of like a zombie apocalypse. I, I mean, we're not talking about a DoorDash driver here. Uh, he's a former president of the United States, and he is a current... We're not talking about a DoorDash driver, he says. We're talking about a former president of the United States. Hold on to that. Active candidate for president of the United States, running against a party um, whose four prosecutors have indicted him. And regardless of what you think about President Trump, um, this is unprecedented. Uh, uh, it's going to really test our political system. I mean, this is the sort of thing that happens in countries whose uh, whose Powerball jackpots is our jackpot is uh, 387 chickens and a goat. I mean, we 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 don't do that in America. Now, having said that. This is the first time, but I can assure you it won't be the last. There are thousands of prosecutors out there in America, Republican and Democrat, very ambitious. And now that the glass has been broken, I worry about what that means for the rule of law in our system. It is good for the rule of law to have the principal stand of no one being above the law. And so if there's enough evidence to justify a prosecution, a prosecution should occur no matter who you are. DoorDash driver, as John Kennedy said, or a former president. But in his mind, with that little comparison or that statement, makes so clear that that's why he's upset about this. That's why he's perpetuating all these nonsense talking points. It's not because there's an absence of evidence to justify these investigations and then subsequent prosecutions. It's because of who Trump is. That's it. We knew that. But he's making it so clear there. And it violates the very principle that Republicans claimed to hold, which is law and order, no one's above the law, rule of law, etc. And uh, then him saying it's unprecedented, as we've talked about. Yes, and the actions of Trump were unprecedented. Unprecedented act, unprecedented accountability. There we go. And then finally, John Kennedy makes quite the effort to portray himself as an everyman and really does want his image to reflect that and people to resonate with him and relate with him. And again, kind of an everyman, I'm like you type of brand. 
And there lets the mask slip in another way, which is kind of his pretentiousness. He wants people to forget, by the way, that he went to Oxford University, uh, where he's saying a DoorDash driver, maybe they could be indicted multiple times, but not a former president. And then also, quote, this is the sort of thing that happens in countries whose Powerball jackpot is 387 chickens and a goat. There are countless uh, countries that they would not classify as, and the term uh, they use is third world countries. There are... Uh, quite a few countries that don't fall into that category that absolutely have prosecuted former leaders if they broke the law. And that is what should be done whenever you do treat everyone equally under the law. But clearly Republicans have given up on that belief as John Kennedy made very clear uh, right there. Came across an interesting piece from Axios titled Strongman Economics Aren't Working for China and Russia. And it reminded me of uh, President Biden has said a lot, especially on the 2020 presidential campaign trail, that he believes this era will be in part defined by the comparative success, some of this effect, of autocracies versus democracies. And it's so important that we strive for success to uh, represent the success of democracy or, again, something like that. And there really are a lot of people in the world who believe autocracies can more effectively uh, lead to more successful outcomes and democracies are too inefficient and not effective enough. And what we're seeing is in principle, as we've gone through extensively, I believe democracies to be the best form of government, far from perfect, but definitely the best form of government. And there's different structures specifically that can make that happen. Just importantly, the say of the people in the government represented in who they're being governed by. And then also pragmatically, we're seeing that even on economic metrics, elected governments, as the article will know, are pulling ahead, which is a hopeful sign for sure. And this also comes, by the way, within the context of uh, an anti-democratic movement in this country right now, getting more and more prominent, unfortunately. Not so much because of their belief that democracies are ineffective, but instead just because they wanna see Trump as a strong man. MAGA, of course, and that has caused them to have this weird admiration for Putin and Xi Jinping, and Trump definitely makes that rather clear. So here's this from Axios. In the battle between strongmen and democracies, elected governments are pulling ahead, at least economically. After the financial crisis of 2008 hobbled the U.S. and much of the West, China's strong economy prompted a flurry of commentary about the benefits of its style of state-led capitalism, which eliminated the inefficiencies that always accompany democracy. More than a decade later, though, the economic downside of unelected, unaccountable strongmen is on display. Russia's ruble dove again on Monday, and its central bank sharply raised rates in an emergency meeting Tuesday as the currency hit the lowest level since the immediate aftermath of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's fallen 37% over the last year since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's about 20% lower, though at times it's been down by as much as 50%. You can see just the sharp decline there. Separately, China's financial system also wobbled Monday as a major financial entity with ties to the country's troubled housing industry appeared to miss payments to investors, triggering worries of growing financial contagion. China's central bank cut rates in a surprise move Tuesday. It talks about Turkey as well, experiencing severe economic issues, and then notes that all countries, of course, experience economic ups and downs. But uh, Russia, China, and Turkey in particular appear inseparable 
from their economic troubles, I should say, from the catastrophic decisions made by the strongmen in charge. Putin's invasion of Ukraine, of course, and then Xi Jinping sweeping aside decades of precedent to install himself as China's third leader, uh, a third term leader, I should say, and uh, imposing inhumane COVID-related lockdown policies, cracking down on key industries, and shifting the party's focus from prosperity to nationalism, all of which have undermined economic confidence and sapped investment. The U.S. isn't perfect, Axios notes, neither is democracy. But compared to other systems on offer, having the ability to vote out erratic and ineffective leaders seems to be serving us pretty well. Fascinating, hopeful, and we have to, <clears throat> excuse me, make the principled arguments while also pulling some uh, uh, material to bolster our message from the pragmatic reality as well. Not only can you give your people a say in who is governing them, how they're being governed, who represents them, you can do so with better results even on these very objective metrics or somewhat objective metrics being the different economic metrics we, we use. And uh, I think that's really good in a time where there is a lot of questioning of democracy worldwide. And then even in this country, ideologically opposed to the legitimacy of our democracy. And this is not going to sway MAGA, but it's still interesting. And it's not to say that we hope, uh, the citizens that are under authoritarian rule will economically suffer at all. We don't. But instead, as we analyze what is occurring, we see that uh, the argument for democracy is absolutely legitimate and bolstered in so many different areas of uh, the conversation. And so the hope is that this these data points will assist in over time uh, increasing the likelihood that countries that are currently under authoritarian rule can see a more democratic society eventually, which would be better for the citizens. President Biden spoke in Milwaukee and the big kind of notable part of it that a bunch of people were seeing and discussing was the fact that he called out Marjorie Taylor Greene and the bizarre moment during a recent speech where she is trying to insult President Biden and in so doing compares him to LBJ and FDR and he's trying to invest in all these popular social programs. But then I was looking at the rest of the speech and there's more interesting parts from it. So we'll go through chronologically, then get to the Marjorie Taylor Greene moment. Here's the first one, again, Biden in Milwaukee touting the success of Bidenomics. When the middle works and the bottom has a shot up, the wealthy do very well. I'm a capitalist. If you make a billion dollars, go make it. I mean it. Just pay a little more taxes than you're paying right now. 8% doesn't quite get it. When the middle works and... Right. I grabbed that because uh, two reasons. The first being it's hilarious that people call Biden a socialist and a Marxist and a communist in the right wing. Uh, he even there is explicitly saying, I'm a capitalist. You want to be a billionaire? You want to make billions of dollars? Go make it. But just pay more in taxes, which is profoundly, aggressively reasonable um, and should be the case right now. We have a situation where the top richest people in this country pay an effective tax rate in the single digits. Absurd. The second reason is we got to stop people in their tracks when they go forward with this nonsense talking point of 
both sides, both parties are just consumed with extremism and led by extremists. No, there is one side disproportionately in positions of power dealing with that problem. Now out in the world, 100% there are annoying and extreme people on social media who identify all across the political spectrum and uh, are very loud and get a lot of attention because of social media algorithms. But how do we know that it's something beyond that? How do we know that it matters and uh, is representative of a broader uh, prominent ideology or something that is in positions that matter while well, positions of power is a really good way to know that is this something that's representative of a larger issue um, or at least a larger reality and if you look to positions of power you see that in the republican party they're electing the extremists in so many different cases whether it be marjorie green lauren Boebert, matt gates louis gohmert uh and obviously donald trump being the likely nominee of the party for president and so there is a real problem with extremism. They really are sprinting to the far right. In the Democratic Party, we're not seeing that. Biden was the most moderate candidate on that 2020 presidential Democratic primary stage. And he was the one selected by the Democratic voters. He's less progressive than me. He's so moderate. And he was selected by the Democratic voters. Um, and he is the leader of the party right now. And you see in so many other positions within the Democratic Party, that is also the case. And so the solution is not, let's run Joe Manchin to solve our problem with polarization. He can be right in the middle because both parties are sprinting in opposite directions. No, the country, you're hearing a lot of extremism on both sides, sure. But one of those sets of uh, extremists is actually making it to positions of power right now. And that is in the Republican Party. And so the solution actually is, if you want a middle of the road candidate, that's Joe Biden. Then there are people to the left of Joe Biden and uh, Biden just happens to be in the Democratic Party. So just because there's two parties doesn't mean you have to split the difference between the two and say, I'm going to pick someone who's in between Trump and Biden. So in between uh, fascistically motivated and middle of the road sort of progressive, you know, with his policy. It's absurd. Next clip. Because we're investing in America. According to Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, my plan is leading to a boom. They call it a boom in manufacturing and manufacturing investment, as you're seeing right here in this factory. Over 13.4 million new jobs, 150,000 new jobs in the state of Wisconsin. And then he continues forward with more economic metrics. Absolutely a pretty impressive record on job growth absolutely and it's not all biden a lot of that would have happened anyways but some of the legislative successes that biden has overseen and the democratic party has overseen over the last few years has contributed significantly to the massive economic uh, recovery we've seen again in recent years then he takes a shot at ron johnson oh who believes that your significant senator ron johnson he believes outsourcing manufacturing jobs is a great thing. He's on record as saying he doesn't agree with American work. This is what he said. American workers should manufacture. He doesn't think they should manufacture products that require a lot of labor. Here's what he said, quote, let the billions of people around the world do that. End of quote. You wonder why the hell we got ourselves in trouble. Well, we've been letting them do that for too damn long. 
It's time to build American products in America. I heard uh, Farron Cousins make the point, and it was very apt, that Biden, he really does have a good platform to run on and message. And if you take on paper his message, it's really good, pro-working class, based on a record that is far from everything we could dream of, but very significant, especially within the context of when he was president, post the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. And all of that could build a really strong campaign. The downside is his delivery of that message is often uh, leaves some room for improvement for sure. And you could imagine someone else or him earlier on in his career taking all the the on paper successes and message that he's landed on and doing so much more with it if he could deliver it more effectively. Um, and then now we get to the Marjorie Green moment. Before watching his statement during this speech, a reminder, this was the ad that the Biden campaign put together. Only using the words of Marjorie Taylor Greene at this Turning Point USA speech. She's trying to insult President Biden, but instead says this. Joe Biden had the largest public investment in social infrastructure and environmental programs that is actually finishing what FDR started that LBJ expanded on and Joe Biden is attempting to complete programs to address education, medical care, urban problems, rural poverty, transportation, Medicare, Medicaid, labor unions, and he still is working on it. And as we talked about when we covered that ad, Biden just says, I approve this message <laughs> on Twitter. Exactly. Who knows? Why on earth she thought that was an insult, but she did. And Biden made a joke about that during this Milwaukee speech. This legislation they oppose or attack is now the greatest thing to come to their states. You know, the, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, the very quiet lady from North Carolina, from, from Georgia. Using the same joke he used with Lauren Boebert, but we'll let it pass. Well, she talked about what Biden's doing is what Roosevelt did, what Kennedy did. I thought, well, yeah. And of course, LBJ was the uh, second person. But I, someone asked me because I covered that campaign ad and they hadn't seen my coverage of the original remarks that Marjorie Greene delivered and asked, was that real? Did she actually sound that way or did they kind of put together a bunch of out of context moments to make it sound like she's complimenting by? We watched the full minute plus segment from that a speech at the Turning Point USA event. And it just sounds like she's, other than throwing in that they didn't include this ad and these are socialist policies and stuff like that, it was just a list of all these fantastic things Biden has pushed for in a tone of voice that was outraged. Oh, he's investing in infrastructure, Medicaid. Why are you saying it like that? Continuing on the legacy of LBJ and FDR, which both are seen, especially in these social programs they implemented, very positively by Americans at large. So I don't know what she was going at there. I think she's really out of touch. And she thinks, ugh, can you imagine investing in people ugh, uh, and thinks other people feel that way? And I love that Biden's bringing that up because it's hilarious. Marjorie Taylor Greene, as you guys might know, not the brightest bulb in the, is there a second half of that statement? In the bulb cabinet, <laughs> in the bulb store? Not the brightest bulb in the, 
socket. Speaking of the not super bright bulb, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she appeared on Newsmax to respond to the news that Donald Trump has been indicted for a fourth time on charges, of course, related to his attempts to overturn the 2020 election results in the state of Georgia, her home state. And uh, she is getting lazier and lazier with her dishonesty. I talked about when guest hosting for the David Pakman show, the fact that she was getting kind of confused in a past interview about her own dishonesty and doesn't seem to even put much effort in trying uh, in trying to deceive us and uh, give us the respect of at least trying whenever you're being dishonest. And now she's uh, given up almost completely and just says, no, you did the thing that he did. Yeah, criminal conspiracy, is that what you're accusing Trump of? No, you did that. And says that Jack Smith, Merrick Garland, Fonnie Willis, Alvin Bragg, and Democrats are guilty of criminal conspiracy. Just Democrats generally, I guess. I don't know. Take a look at this. That's right, Rob. It's it's outrageous. And I actually think that Fonnie Willis and Democrats nationally, um, you know, from the federal level at the Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, Jack Smith, Fonnie Willis, Alvin Bragg, I think they're all guilty of the exact RICO racketeering and conspiracy charges that they are actually charging President Trump with. Because Whoa. this is a conspiracy to stop President Trump from winning the 2024 election False. and to silence his speech and, and ultimately actually dis destroy free speech altogether. It's straight up communism and people everywhere are completely outraged. It, it is so. <sighs> I'm not outraged, outraged. Uh, so it's communism, it's destroying free speech, all the things we've heard before. But you'll notice again, by the way, can you believe that people fall for that? People think that's accurate analysis. Um, you'll never see on right-wing networks like this, as I will continue to say, or from Marjorie Green as she responds, them actually going through and saying, okay, let's pick one of the counts, count nine, conspiracy to commit impersonating public officer. Let's go through and find what exact evidence they're saying they have. If that evidence indeed materializes and they're not lying about having it, why, they don't explain why that wouldn't mean this, right? <laughs> Just comparing to, okay, here's what he's accused of doing. Here's why that wouldn't prove it. Or here's why that's not actually against the law if you do have that evidence. And uh, that's because if they engage in that discussion, they would realize their talking points are nonsense. They would realize it's not political persecution. Trump's not this big victim. There's just evidence of him potentially violating the law, thus he should be prosecuted. And if he's acquitted, he's acquitted. But let the system do its thing. And it looks like based on the evidence, he's not going to be acquitted. But we'll see. And uh, instead, she just goes, all right, first thing on the table of contents, violation of the Georgia RICO Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. Yeah, that you, you racketeering, you did that. You're, you're the one with the criminal conspiracy. Nice one, Marjorie. And then a uh, second clip, let me get this queued up here from the same interview. That's right, Rob. And people everywhere are terrified of this government. Uh, this is something that we expect in third world countries, that we expect in communist regimes. But this is what we're seeing in America today. You know, Rob, I live in a rural district. This is where people really want a $1.75 gas back. They do not like the Biden policies. A lot of people on fixed incomes like senior citizens, uh, single moms, just good working people are going month to month with their paychecks and maxing out their credit cards 
with high inflation, high grocery bills, high electricity bills, and high gas bills. But they're watching the Biden regime actually try to arrest President Trump, lock him up in jail for the rest of his life, which is a death sentence, and then go after his supporters across the Okay, and then the normal fear-mongering there. But to engage with the points about economic hardship, there's absolutely meaningful, real economic hardship in the country right now, and that matters and it should be discussed. If you're honest, though, Marjorie Green, about addressing those problems, then you have to be honest about what's causing them. And just trying to use these issues as a political weapon to attack Biden is very disingenuous when you're not actually correctly analyzing, again, the causes of those problems, and you're not acknowledging that you've opposed solutions to some of those problems. So first, she mentioned gas prices. We've gone through more extensively in the past what actually is contributing to the price of gas um, at different points in time, and it is heavily impacted by the different variables put into play and impacted by the pandemic, the economic downturn, the pandemic caused, same thing with inflation. So the question is then, within the context of when Biden took over as president, within that crisis, what did he do? And uh, that's how we judge him, not just where are these different metrics, because things out of his control could have affected that, but what did he do based on the context in which he took over as president? And the way we know, by the way, that a lot of this was out of his control is the fact that worldwide, a lot of these issues were being dealt with, so it can't just be a Biden problem. Uh, but we saw uh, a sharp decline. As of recently, we've seen a sharp decline. We saw kind of a while ago decrease in gas prices, but again, a broader economic conversation as to why gas prices are where they are right now. Um, but then also inflation has been rapidly declining, actually faster than other comparable economies. So that's an example of, oh, interesting. Is that because of the leadership? Maybe not. Maybe. And uh, then you you move on to other examples of policies that Biden used to respond to the moment, the crisis. American Rescue Plan, Marjorie Greene uh, tried to prevent that from getting through. The Infrastructure Law, the Inflation Reduction Act, she blocked or tried to block all those things unsuccessfully, luckily. And then she talks about seniors on fixed incomes. You know what benefits seniors on fixed incomes? lowering their prescription drug costs. Actually, in a past clip we covered, she said seniors are having to choose between their high prescription drug costs or rent. As she fought the very legislation that sought to and is now lowering prescription drug costs for seniors, capping the cost of insulin for Medicare recipients at $35 out of pocket per month and allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices. That was in the Inflation Reduction Act and she opposed it, called it socialist. Biden's trying to be like LBJ or whatever she says. So she actually opposes the very solutions to the problems that she's pointing out. And that is what is so disingenuous and dishonest about that. Donald Trump released another one of his truth social diatribes. And as we watch this, remember, he has been complaining and stating that he's the victim of a weaponized federal government at the hands of President Biden. And how dare the other side want to see their political opponent locked up, which is not the case. We want to see due process play out and accountability play out. If he gets locked up, he gets locked up, but we want to see the process play out. But he's been saying you should never want that. And he has been wrongfully accusing Biden of using his power as president to push for the prosecution of Trump. That's not accurate, but Trump has been saying it. Now he's broadcasting and promoting his plan if he became president to push for the investigation and prosecution of Biden, the Biden crime family, as he'll call it. Take a look. 
This is corruption like our country has never seen before. That is why, as soon as I am reelected, I will appoint a real special counsel, or maybe you'll call it a special prosecutor, whatever you want to call it, you can, to look at all of these bribes, kickbacks, and other crimes, as well as the shameless attempt at a cover-up. Justice will be done. The Biden crime family will be looked at. We have to get there first. We have to win the election. They're trying to step in my way at every path because the one person they don't want to run is Donald Trump. But when we get there, the Biden crime family will pay a price like other people are being forced to pay. And that price will be very, very substantial. It'll be fair. But you know what? If they're guilty, they're going to be guilty. What they are doing to justice in this country mm. has never even been thought of before. Thank you very much. Very impactful. The hypocrisy is obvious, directly contradicting what we've listened to for some time now from his movement and he himself about weaponizing the federal government. He's saying as president, I'm not going to just hope that justice is done but I'm going to try to use my authority to push for the Biden crime family to be investigated and likely prosecuted. <laughs> now, the allegations that he's basing this off of, of course, are baseless. And we've gone through extensively every step of the way as the House majority, um, the Republican Party in the House has attempted to use that authority to investigate Biden left, right, backwards, forwards, and they cannot find what they promised they're going to find. And it's been embarrassing. And actually, as they investigate further, we see, oh, Biden is, you're just clearing him of wrongdoing time and time again. <laughs> and uh, so if you want to appoint a special counsel or a special prosecutor or whatever you want to call it, you can do that. And if they're honest in any way, which Trump would hope that they wouldn't be, but if they were, they would find what the House majority has found, what the House Oversight Committee has found, which is nothing. And uh, it doesn't matter, though, because Trump, just like how they chanted lock her up at all of his rallies, is perfectly fine with the principle of it's horrible to wish for and push for the prosecution of your political opponents if that harms me. If it harms my political opponents, then it's perfectly fine. How dare you wish for Trump to be held accountable legally, but also without uh, substantiated accusations against all these people we're going to chant for them to be locked up. No due process, just lock her up or lock him up or whatever. And the hypocrisy is almost, as we've talked about in the past, the point. It's a strength if everyone's on board with it, which is horrifying that so many people are on board with this type of dishonesty and direct contradictions with purported principles. But if your followers don't care about it and you don't care about it, then no one can ever get you <laughs> because you'll just go, yeah, that's right. I am contradicting myself and I am a hypocrite and I don't care. What we care about is power, not principle. That is often the stance of a lot of these Republicans and definitely Donald Trump. The White House is celebrating the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. And uh, I came across some interesting reporting from Politico talking about how progressive Democrats are rightfully taking this as an opportunity to ask the question of what's next. Great, let's celebrate this and also what's next, which I love to see. And I think both sides of what I just said are super important. We have to 
to stay hopeful and just to be honest and accurate, celebrate and acknowledge when things do get done, when successes are implemented, and then never stop pushing for more. Both of those can be done simultaneously. And I see sometimes one or the other where people are too okay with whatever has gotten done and that's it. And some people never even acknowledge when good things happen and we can't do either of those, I don't think. With that being said, here's this from the Inflation Reduction Act uh, reporting from Politico. The IRA turns one. Many Democrats are already talking about the next climate law. President Joe Biden and his cabinet are celebrating the first year of their massive climate law, but his party's climate hawks are just as worried about all its unfinished business. I don't love that term, climate hawks. Just for starters, a green jobs training program, incentives for power companies to switch to clean energy, and a tax credit for electrical transmission projects. All that and more were left on the cutting room floor when Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act a year ago, Wednesday. Many liberal lawmakers and climate advocates say Democrats must take up all these priorities the next time they gain unified control of Congress and the White House. Otherwise, they warn, the U.S. will be unable to thwart the worst effects of global warming. Quote, it's an existential threat, and the IRA was a modest step forward. Bernie Sanders said in an interview, if we're going to save the planet... We're going to have to work in cooperation with the rest of the world in a dramatic reduction of fossil fuels. And they cite more quotes and then say what conservatives uh, are saying. So, uh, as I said, Inflation Reduction Act, nothing to sneeze at, very impactful, very important, and also not enough. And uh, it is so important that we focus on the most immediate goal, the most important goal in this moment, which is we can't do more if Trump wins the White House. So we have to make sure we do everything possible within our power to uh, make sure Donald Trump or whoever the GOP nominee is, most likely Donald Trump, loses in 2024 and President Joe Biden wins re-election. But if he does, we have to be ready for what that means. And I think it's pushing for an expansion on what we saw the first two years of his presidency. And really it's take Build Back Better and everything that didn't get implemented in Build Back Better, the originally uh, uh, proposed kind of piece of legislation, or it wasn't formal legislation, but the original proposal of Build Back Better and say, you got some of this, push for the rest. And uh, that includes paid family, that includes minimum wage increase, that includes, um, Honestly, he hasn't even mentioned public option. That wasn't in the Inflation Reduction Act. Free community college. Lots of things to that effect. And also more investments in and more steps forward on the response to climate change. So good to recognize one year Inflation Reduction Act. Massive success. So much more is necessary. And so we should continue pushing for that. Failed gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake is nuking her own party is going to assist in the destruction electorally of the GOP. And I have an example of why that is in a clip that I'll show you in just a moment. Now, uh, it comes within the context of her attacking Ron DeSantis, which fine by me attack Ron DeSantis, but there's a broader point that is made that is very destructive. And as she, for some reason, is really popular within MAGA, a little MAGA celebrity, she is setting she's drawing a line in the sand i guess you could say which is going to be very harmful to the party electorally so we'll talk more about this and there's more clips to look at but first this one ron DeSantis is not electable there is not a snowball's chance in hell that he can beat any democrat and here's why 
Do you think for one minute that the entirety of the MAGA world will go over and vote for Ron DeSantis, a guy who stabbed Donald Trump in the back, a guy who is lying and saying he believes Joe Biden legitimately won? These people aren't going to vote for Ron DeSantis under any circumstance. Many of them, millions of people won't. And so they're trying to push that whole narrative that Trump is unelectable. Trump won 12 million additional votes from from 16 to 20, and he's going to win tens of millions more this time. So weird, (laughs) strange dynamic. Uh, By the way, just before continuing, Stephen Colbert once said that I think it was Stephen Colbert, one of the late night hosts, uh, because of all the filters she uses, she looks like a fascist hologram. <laughs> Classic. Uh, we'll get to more from this interview where she makes fun of uh, DeSantis wiping his boogers on people. We'll get to that. But if MAGA decides, as Carrie Lake is trying to get them to decide, that we will not vote for you, not just in the primary, but if you get a nomination across any of these races and become the nominee of the Republican Party, we won't vote for you even over a Democrat. We'll just stay home if you have crossed Trump in any way and if you have accepted, which is a way of crossing Trump, the results of the 2020 election. And then if we cross 2024, the results of that election likely if Biden wins. You're going to have a sizable portion of the Republican Party, unfortunately, which is MAGA, that will then not go out to vote for Republican candidates and tank their chances in election after election. We see how close a lot of these elections are. And if MAGA stays home, doesn't vote for the Republican candidate, no chance they could be a Democrat, especially nationally in a presidential race. So that's one interesting element of this. The other is... DeSantis, because of people like Carrie Lake and others within the MAGA movement, might have wrecked his career. Because again, unfortunately, so much of the GOP right now is MAGA supporters and Trump supporters. And if they buy into the ideology that Steve Bannon and Carrie Lake and many other hardcore Trump supporters push, that because of DeSantis's run here, he's now anti-MAGA and he's crossed Trump and we can't support him, DeSantis might fall out of relevance, which is fine by me. It's unfortunate that such a dangerous movement is the one outcasting him, but as long as he gets outcasted, I guess. Before discussing further, here's more from this interview. Okay, DeSantis says uh, Trump lost 2020. DeSantis in single digits ended DeSantis' run. The rest of it's all nonsense. I don't care how many times he debates Newsom. This is all Murdoch-generated. It's all Murdoch-phony. Did I mention the Murdochs are foreigners? Did I mention that? Uh, Carrie Lake, your thoughts about Ron? Imagine just tuning into this on a daily basis. My goodness. Thank you for watching me and other shows like mine and not that. On DeSantis. <laughs> well, I said I was going to give him a pro tip because I was watching as he's campaigning across Iowa and, and Iowa's hot and sweaty in the summer. I know people think of the cold winters there. But, um, you know, have you seen the video? It's like every time he's around people, he's so awkward, but he's literally wiping the sweat off of his face and then touching people and, and rubbing his nose. Ron, use a tissue, please. The people of Iowa do not appreciate having your um, your runny nose and your sweaty face rubbed all over them. Be, be a human being and be polite. Blot your face with the tissue, but please don't rub. Okay, so what is being referred to there? I'll put this up on screen. Muted because there's some... Uh, music playing in this clip but 
Ron DeSantis, definitely an odd guy who does some odd things, including rubbing his sweat or boogers or something on people. And there's a different clip of him kind of rubbing his nose and then patting someone on the back. It looks like he's wiping it off. Least important part about him, though, because it is absolutely correct to criticize Ron DeSantis. It's interesting to note that he's also an awkward person that hurts you in campaigns for sure. PR-related stuff does matter for campaigning. But most importantly, you should call him out and criticize him for his horrible policies and horrible rhetoric and horrible motivations. But for Carrie Lake and MAGA, that's not their issue with him. And that is what is so notable about this, that uh, they are now setting a precedent, laying kind of the groundwork and their playbook is going to be in the primary. If you want our support, you're going to have to be an election denier. You have to say 2020 was stolen. But if they get that, if they win in primaries, in Republican primaries, which they can, as we've seen, then in the general electorate, you're a toxic candidate and carry Lake laws, Doug Mastriano, Masters, and many others because of their election denying radical extreme positions. And so that's one option that hurts the GOP significantly. The second option is MAGA loses in the primary and a non-election denier, a non-fool Trumper wins the primary. Then Carrie Lake and others are saying, well, then you won't get our support in the general. And then they won't have the full Republican Party, which they need to win these general elections against Democrats uh, in a lot of cases. And so either way it goes, because of this litmus test, you're going to see massively damaging outcomes for the GOP, which it's the bed they made. And that's on them. They shouldn't have allowed this to become so prominent within their party. One more clip, and this is from an Eric Bowling interview. A federal government, state governments that have been turned and weaponized against the people, against their political opponents. So, so along, that, this is along those lines, Kerry, have the other candidates who are running for president, have they stepped up and supported Trump enough? And name some names, who has and who hasn't. Well, I'll, I'll name one name, and, and he's not running for president yet, but I sure as heck have been wondering where he's been, why he's allowing this to happen in his state. And his name is Brian Kemp, and he is the, uh, I'm going to call him what he is, a rhino. Uh, he's a governor of, of Georgia, and he's allowing this kind of nonsense to happen in his state. It's outrageous, and he uh, he can't put, he can't manage to put his hatred of President Trump behind him and actually care about justice in his state. And so, so I guess she's calling for Brian Kemp to intervene in the prosecution of Trump for some reason. But there, with all my criticisms of Brian Kemp, he is a popular Republican governor right now in Georgia, and so she's further subdividing further dividing the party into smaller and smaller portions, which is not going to be beneficial. I can tell you, make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. Before we go, I do want to note, I've realized that on YouTube, the clips that I upload, the segments, the individual stories I upload to YouTube, there are some subjects that just aren't that interesting to people going through and watching the segment version of different shows. And uh, so, there's just no reason to upload certain stories if a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of my audience will even find any interest in them or watch them. So instead, uh, because I want a full kind of flushed out and diverse topic show, 
I will still cover all the stories I want to cover and still go to different subjects, even ones that I find interesting, but don't perform well on YouTube, uh, which means because those don't really need to be uploaded as individual segments because they aren't watched compared to a lot of the other videos. If you're a full show viewer or listener, you're going to get extra kind of exclusive content because I'll do one or two stories every day that aren't even uploaded to the bigger portion of the audience on the YouTube channel. So pretty cool. If you're a member, that means you're getting exclusive stories every day and the bonus show on the weekends. If you're a podcast listener, just the extra stories each day. Just thought I would make that note. Thank you all. And I'll see you tomorrow.